You can build the life you've always desired. You can become the person you want to be. You don't have to listen to society. You can step into your inner power and your truths and set yourself free. What is going on, everybody? Thank you so much for tuning in to the Writing to Inspire podcast. And for those of you who are new to this podcast or this show, it is based off of my Instagram page at Writing to Inspire. It's all one word. Go check it out. Hit that follow button. We have a vibrant community. It's all about self-help and growth. And on that note, guys, I have the great, the prolific, the funny... The academic Dr. Robert Glover, who wrote perhaps the premier book that I can attribute to my biggest life change. No more Mr. Nice Guy. Dr. Robert Glover, thank you so much for coming on. It's a pleasure to have you. Uh, Jamal, thank you for the invitation. With that that introduction, I know we're going to have a good time. You've, you've got me really built up. <laughs> yeah. Looking forward to this. Definitely. I hope the pressure's not on, Dr. Glover. But you know what? You've been leading I men for years. It. I can handle the pressure, man. Bring it. Absolutely. Okay, so Dr. Glover, I have to ask the prototypical question. Just so for people who are unfamiliar with you, why don't you describe yourself a little bit and then I can actually get into the first question. Okay, well, well, who am I? And, you know, you've mentioned my book, No More Mr. Nice Guy. Uh, I, I am what I call a recovering nice guy. Um, professionally, my background, my doctorate is in marriage and family therapy, and I had private practice for 25-plus years, uh, primarily uh, working with couples, individuals, and then later starting working a lot with men. And, and since I wrote No More Mr. Nice Guy, and it came out in 2003, so about 17 years ago as we talk, most of my work is focused on men. When, when I, I, near the end of my private, pra, uh, private practice back up in the Seattle area, I was doing five men's groups a week. I now live in Puerto Vallarta, Mexico. I do pretty much all my business online. I have an online university with self-help courses for men and women. I continue to write. I do workshops and seminars and um, do a lot of stuff online like this, especially now in the whole pandemic, you know, we're, we're all online a lot more. So uh, my, my focus pretty much is working with men. I have another book called Dating Essentials for Men, and um, I just love working with men. And, uh, and I've, I've, I've come to love writing, and uh, so that's a big part of my life now as well. Well said, Dr. Glover, and no, I mean, you are fantastic at what you do. Don't don't get it wrong. I mean, guys, if you do not have this book, even women out there on the page, go and get it. No More Mr. Nice Guy, it really clarifies exactly what Dr. Glover says is the nice guy syndrome, which he and I will expound on in a little. So, Dr. Glover, first question, what inspired you to write the book? Well, um, I actually wasn't inspired to write a book. I, you know, I know some people set out to write a book. I did not. What happened is that, um, as I said, I'm, I'm, I'm a recovering nice guy. Uh, you know, 25 plus years ago, I started working on my own personal nice guy issues, mainly because my then wife threatened to leave me if I didn't <laughs> go work on them. And, uh, you know, I thought I was a nice guy. And I thought, well, why didn't everybody try to be a nice guy? And why didn't my wife appreciate me? Um, but basically, she says, you know, everybody thinks you're such a nice guy, but you're really very passive aggressive and you really hurt me a lot. And I, I didn't, yeah, I had a PhD, but I didn't even know what passive aggressive really was. So I, I went looking for some help to make my wife happy. And I thought, I want to go find out why being a nice guy doesn't make my wife happy. 
and um, along the way, I, I got into a 12-step uh, group and then a therapist and then a men's group. And I began realizing that my nice guy paradigm, my roadmap of life, I had a lot of flaws in it. The, the, the giving to get, the avoidance of conflict, the pleasing, the caretaking, the codependency, the fixing, the lying, the not asking for what I want, the <laughs> neglecting my own needs, putting everybody else first, uh, wasn't working well. And uh, so I started working on those dynamics in myself. And as a therapist, I, I was seeing a lot of uh, individuals and couples that would come to therapy. And a lot of the guys would either they're coming in on their own or with their wife or girlfriend um, had the same complaints I did. And, you know, the same thing. Hey, I'm a nice guy. I'm one of the nicest guys you'll ever meet. I treat my wife better than her ex. I'm raising her kids. I try to do everything for her. You know, I buy her what she wants. I, you know, I tell her what she wants to hear. Uh, how come she's angry all the time? How come she never wants to have sex anymore? How come, when's it going to be my turn? <laughs> and so I thought, there's other guys like me. I'm not the only one. So I started my first No More Mr. Nice Guy men's group over 25 years ago. And we mm -hmm. met every other Wednesday. So Wednesdays, I just started writing and writing things I was learning about me, uh, about nice guys, um, how we got to be this way, how, what a more effective life paradigm would be, how to break out of bad habits, blah, blah, blah. And I just kept writing every week and giving these guys these chapters. And I, I wasn't trying to write a book. I was just kind of sharing material with them that I thought would be helpful. And um, these guys and often their wives and girlfriends would say, Robert, you need to write a book. You need to go on Oprah. There's a lot of people out there that need this. So over a period of about seven years, I wrote and um, it turned into a book. Um, and then uh, took about three years to get it published. A lot of publishers, the editors said, Robert, we like your book. It's really well written. But our marketing department says men won't buy a self-help book. Ooh, they were wrong. one that tells them that they're a loser. And I said, <laughs> you do not understand the men I'm writing for. And, um, and the book's been out now 17 years, and my royalty checks get bigger every year. So <laughs> men do buy self-help books. Yes, we do. Absolutely, Dr. Glover. I mean... Men are emotional creatures, and the one thing I love that you are sure to highlight in your book is it is okay to have emotions. It's okay to be a man. It's okay to be masculine. It's okay to get in touch with your inner self and to acknowledge that, yes, you have needs, and yes, you have desires, and yes, you have wants. And prior to reading your book, I mean, of course, so many other men who have read this book, I am sure they echo this sentiment. And as a side note, I always say if you were back in the biblical times, they probably would have stoned you because of your oh. message. You, you would have been leading the masses, Dr. Glover. They probably would have called you some sort of false prophet. But really, <clears throat> excuse me, what you say is true. Um, giving to get. I was, before reading your book, my life was predicated on that false detrimental foundation of just, you know, what you call covert contracts, what me and you will get into soon. You know, if I do this, if I'm a certain way, if I say certain things, not that I was deceptive or manipulative, but if yes, I fit in... Actually. Okay, no, in it, to a certain extent. Yes, yes. No, what I mean is I wasn't, like, trying to manipulate my way into a woman's bed. I was being who I was conditioned to be, yes. essentially. And I didn't realize um, until I hit into my adulthood that... It's okay to break these paradigms. It's okay to toss out these roadmaps. It's okay to write my own and to come to terms with things. 
It is, and and that's what No More Mr. Nice Guy is about. I talk about becoming what I call an integrated male, mm -hmm. and, you know, there's lots of terms we could use, an authentic male, a conscious man, you know, there's a lot of terms we could use for that sure. same thing, and really what they all are saying is how do we become more self-aware, more mm -hmm. conscious of ourselves, and to integrate all aspects of ourselves, to really own them and, and accept them and love them. And so it's not about becoming a better person or a different person, but becoming more us, really loving every part about ourselves, our, 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 our emotions, as you said. Our, our doubtfulness. Our passions. Sure. Our dark side, our, mm -hmm. you know, our, our, our nasty mind, you know, yeah. <laughs> all of that uh -huh. and not having to compartmentalize or dismiss or try to repress any aspect of ourselves. And we become a lot more safe and trustworthy and open and loving when we can just be open to all aspects of ourselves. Now, it sounds easy enough to say, but probably as most of us men know, it, it's a challenge. It takes a lot of work to really open up and accept every part of ourselves. Absolutely, Dr. Glover. And on that note, I, uh, it's a, it's a, it's a, excuse me, a term that I coined. I call it the period of deconstruction. So right now I'm 26, and I've realized that a lot of the paradigms and a lot of these misapprehensions that I'm carrying, they're inherited, so to speak. They're not really my own. So yes, I had to come right. to terms with deconstructing these outmoded beliefs and ideals and rebuilding, reconfiguring what it is I want to be and who I want to become. And, and that's kind of what you focus on in this book. And even on that note, there's one thing that you said that you always say in other um, podcasts and other shows, and it's so true. And I had to realize this. The nice guy, go ahead, Dr. Glover, is everything but... Yeah, a nice guy. Yeah, <laughs> yeah he's not nice. Well, even when, that's why I, I kind of interrupted you a little bit. And you said, well, I wasn't trying to be deceptive or manipulative, but yes. Nice guys yeah. don't like to, to hear this, but I've heard one term somebody used one time, and I kind of like it. said that nice guys are shadow narcissists. Um, <laughs> we think we're doing everything for everybody else. But, but, we, but we are actually being manipulative and deceptive. What we really want, and going back to the covert contracts you mentioned, sure. is that if I do this for you, then you're going to do this for me. Yep. And, and we're not usually even real consciously aware that's what we're doing is so True. ingrained and that's how we get our needs met in this world or how we get liked or loved or try, try to just fit in. things sure. work out. And so this fundamental deceptiveness and this chameleon-like quality about us, our inauthenticity, yep. um, kind of like going back to my second wife when she says, you're not such a nice guy. And like I said, <laughs> that whole passive aggressive, you know, I was, I was angry a lot, even though I didn't think I was an angry guy. My anger just came out in these indirect passive aggressive ways, you know, the, the biting humor, the put downs, the, you know, the, the negative comments, the embarrassing or in public, the not following through on things I committed, the, you know, acting like, oh, I want this, but really I want that. You know, mm -hmm. it's those are all not so nice traits, and they actually, you know, make us difficult to live with. And and even further, just not even ever stating what you really want. You know, when for nice guys, you know, or maybe with a woman, it's you know, we'll ask the woman, "What do you want to do tonight? Or where do you want to go? Or what do you want to eat for dinner?" And she'll say, "I don't know. What do you want? I don't care. Whatever you want." You know, I 
when, when I got divorced from my second wife after you know, 14 years of marriage and started dating, I dated some nice girls. Yeah. And it became really frustrating when, when they would never say what they wanted or let me know if something bothered them or yep. they were at, you know, at, and I thought, man, I have a lot of empathy for my two ex-wives that I, you know, I must have drove them crazy that, you know, I, they never, there was never a solid, real me there. There was never a what you see is what you get kind of guy. Yeah. And, uh, and that's what I've been working on now for about 25 years, <laughs> how to be that solid, what you see is what you get to where there's no doubt what I want and where I'm going and what my expectations are. And, and I'm not manipulating anybody to get there. I'm asking people to help, but no manipulation involved, no deceit involved. Yeah. You're, you're being definitive. And that's one thing that I try to remind myself of. And Dr. Glover, you, you hit the nail on the head. Because I think men and women alike, we're universal in one regard. We want definition. If somebody asks you, where do you want to go? Where do you see yourself? What do you want to do? People like clarity. And I realized, and I'll put myself under the spotlight, Dr. Glover, gladly. I was the man in the past who I would shy away from saying what I wanted to say, shy away from my feelings. And essentially, the even worse part, Dr. Glover, was I didn't have self-love. Because essentially, if you're always suppressing your innermost feelings, what are you telling yourself? You're unworthy. Well, now, sure. no, I've since learned to step into that power. I'll give you a story. There was one woman I really, really, really liked, okay? Obviously, I don't want to... She may even know who she is, but I don't even want to get into it for, you know, just the sake of well, uh, anonymity. We'll keep, we'll keep her identity. Yeah, we'll keep her identity out of it. And I'll never forget just one day, Dr. Glover, and I know other recovering nice guys can relate to this. I erupted. I, I blew up. I was so angry. And I just told her, you know, I do X, Y, and Z, and I feel like you'll just never meet me halfway. And she was kind of shocked because it's like, and I even upon further reflection, I had to ask myself, as a man, somebody who wants to be accountable, somebody who wants to be that masculine foundation of strength and determination, did I exemplify the qualities I'm seeking? And I had to tell myself, no. I was very unclear. I was very ambiguous. Mm -hmm. So I had to get deep. And now it's like, no, if I want something, I want to tell a person, hey, you know, these are the things that I'm expecting. This is what I need from you right now. If I'm feeling, I would have this very bad habit, Dr. Glover. If I'm feeling down, I would, you know, maybe retreat into myself and wait for a person to ask me. I, I see you shaking your head. Jamal, well, how are you? Yeah, no. <laughs> now it's like, hey, this is what's going on today. I could really use, you know, some reassurance, some guidance. Yeah. And the number one thing that I've learned from your book, people want to help. They, they, they want to listen. They want to be there for you. They want to hold that space. You know, you, you, you talk about that blow up with this person you cared about and you say like it didn't represent who you really wanted to be or how you saw yourself, but it is a pretty common dynamic of nice guys and I and in the in no more Mr. Nice Guy I refer to that as a victim puke and um, again bless her heart my second wife was the person that coined that term because I would have those I'd be doing for her doing for her doing for her giving 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 yep. and not feeling like she met me halfway or not feeling like she appreciated or she'd be still be moody or unhappy or sexually unavailable until something would build up and I would just blow up and every conversation I'd ever rehearsed in my head came out right every vile thing I'd thought came out and I remember years ago it was years ago that that would happen and my wife would ask me afterwards um 
you know, how long have you been thinking that thing that you blew up about? And I said, well, I don't know, six months or so. And she'd say, did it ever cross your mind to just talk to me about that? And I go, no, she never did. <laughs> I just kept it all in and yeah. ruminated about it till it blew up. And, um, and it really never did cross my mind that maybe I should actually tell her I'm upset at her. So when I got out there into the dating world after that, that marriage, and you know, I was by then in my late 40s and started dating women, um, you know, I really made a conscious decision to show up differently with a lot more clarity. And so if I was dating a woman and we'd been gone, going out for a few times and it looked like we we're going to keep seeing each other, I would tell her, I said, you know, it looks like, you know, we, we're going to keep seeing each other for a while. And I would tell her, here is what you can expect from me. Mm-hmm. I would tell her four things. Yeah. I will be honest. Everything I tell you will be true. You won't ever find out I told you a lie, a half-truth, I left something out. I said, I will be conscious. I'll pay attention to you, to me, to us, where we're going, what's happening, what needs to be addressed. I said, I'll be transparent. I'll let you know what I think, what I feel, what I want, where I'm going, what I expect of you, what I'm not happy about. I said, you won't have to guess. I will be transparent. And number four, I will set the tone and lead. I will show up with a plan. I won't burden you with having to lead the relationship. And these women, I shared that probably with half a dozen different women over the years. Every one of them kind of looked at me and said, wow, I've never had a man say anything like that to me before. And they all said, and you need to write another book and tell men, you know, what you're doing. Because women were, women are not used to men showing up consciously, mm-hmm. showing up and telling the whole truth. Sure. I mean, most women on this planet have trust issues with men because pretty much every man they've ever been with has not been an honest person. They've had secrets. They kept things out. They manipulated. Yep. Men often are not transparent. We, we just we try to do nice things and hope they'll figure out what we want them to do. And I said, most nice guys especially just never have a plan. And, and women, in my experience, responded really, really well to those four things. Yeah. No, I, I agree with you, Dr. Glover. And, and after reading the book, I'm not even just saying it, guys. No more Mr. Nice Guy. It's available on Amazon. Please go and get this golden book and change your life. But absolutely, I realize that, Dr. Glover. When you are a man of purpose, when you are a man of definitiveness, and you lead and you take the initiative, people respond to you differently. They look at you differently. I mean, it's you stand out. You stand out. Instead of being that pebble on the side of the road, you're the boulder. And people are going to notice you. You're the mountain. And they're going to want to stop and stare and, and admire and awe. Well, it, it, you know, I, I don't like to get woo-woo about stuff, but it does create a magnetism. When, when a man has a sense of confidence and purpose, when, when he is taking responsibility for getting his own needs met and just kind of overflows rather than being this needy, insecure, anxious person, all of which tend to repel people. <coughs> yeah. Um, yeah, when you have a sense, when you're, maybe the best way I know to put it, when you're comfortable in your own skin and living your life on your terms, We'll just boil it down to that. Sure. You like being you. You get up every day and you're happy for who you are. No, no self-criticism, no, no defeatist, no wish you hadn't done that in the past. No, <laughs> you're just liking you. Yep. That is really, really attractive. It, it, it lets you live a life with passion and purpose. And you're right. Other people notice that. Mm-hmm. And they might not even know why they notice it, but they're magnetically attracted to it. Absolutely. Dr. Glover, well said. 
So uh, my next question, what would you say are some of the causes of the nice guy syndrome? Because I'm sure a lot of people listening to this episode, maybe they're probably unfamiliar with this. Well, I, I can come at this from a few different ways. So let, let me kind of give you the, the, the child development 101 version of it. And okay. maybe we can take a little bit of uh, at the societal impacts as well. So let's just talk a little bit about babies. Sure. When, uh, and we were all babies. And we, we, we forgot that, but, yep. you know, because we don't have that in our memory. But when a baby comes into the world, they're totally dependent. They're totally helpless. Their brains are, are very underdeveloped. They're, they are underdeveloped. And, um, and they're very narcissistic by nature. The world True. revolves around them. Absolutely. And they, they, they're pretty much in survival mode. And the, the main part of their brain, that uh, our brains, that were completely online at birth is, is a part on the brain stem, a very old part of the brain called the amygdala. And that amygdala, is, 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 its purpose is to keep us alive. It, it, it regulates heartbeat, respiration, and it regulates as a source of our fight, flight, freeze mechanism. It tells the body, react, run, fight, hide, shut down. And so it's a very, very essential part of, of, our, uh, of who we are. Sure. Now, it's about the size of your little fingernail, and it's, and it's tucked down there on your brain stem. And when we're born, the theory is that the amygdala begins to store up emotional memory about our life experiences. Mm -hmm. And anytime we feel uncomfortable in any way, whether we're hungry and not fed, we're cold and not got warm, we're lonely and not held, dirty and not changed, anything that feels uncomfortable from day one, you know, through, through adolescence, especially early on, those emotional memories get stored up in that very primitive part of the brain. Now, that sure. part of the brain doesn't have any verbal ability and it doesn't store up picture memory. It's just emotional memory. Now, that part of the brain is also wired into every other part of the human brain. It's hot-wired. It is, it is the emotional center of everything. So even how we think, we think maybe we're being logical and rational, you know, but how we view the world and ourselves still is influenced by that emotional operating system we internalize when we're very, 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 very tiny little babies. Sure. But... Everything we feel, we believe is accurate and true. And then it affects everything we think and everything we do. So when we're babies and helpless and storing up that emotional memory and, and believing we are the cause of everything that happens to us because mm -hmm. we're narcissistic, yep. we start developing some survival mechanisms. And these survival mechanisms usually typically try to do two things. One is to try to mediate or soothe the uncomfortable feeling we're feeling right now. So maybe we learn to suck our thumb. Maybe we cry a lot. Maybe sure. we sleep a lot. Mm -hmm. Maybe we, you know, do something to try to, to mediate the uncomfortable feelings we're having. A set, and, and remember, this is with a brain that doesn't have any reasoning ability. Of this course. is still survival mode. And the second thing that we try to do is to develop uh, some kind of uh, manner to prevent these uncomfortable things from happening to us in the future. Right? 
Then we grow up to children, adolescents, and adults, and we still have these same two emotional defense mechanisms in play. They become like a thermostat operating in our body. So, you know, if the rooms we're sitting in right now, if the thermostat works effectively, we never notice if it gets too hot or too cold in the room. It, the thermostat kicks in before we get uncomfortable. We have a thermostat in our body that manages feelings. We don't like feeling uncomfortable feelings. So when we start to feel an uncomfortable feeling, either, you know, we're embarrassed or we're thinking about something we need to do in the future or thinking about something we think we messed up in the past or uh, somebody's mad at us or we're broke or whatever, whatever uncomfortable is. feeling is, that thermostat kicks in before we feel too bad and starts mediating, medicating those feelings. So maybe we go into fix-it mode, caretaking mode, problem-solving mode. Maybe we go into drinking mode, watching Netflix mode, eating mode, smoking dope mode, playing World of, War World of Warcraft mode. <laughs> we go into some mode to mediate the feeling states. Now, we also try to do something to try to make sure those things don't ever happen again in the future. So every human being is doing this, but not aware of it. And we all pick different personas that we started developing as children and then really um, internalize in adolescence where we just really lock down into this persona. This is how I fit in the world. This is how I get loved. This is how I get my needs met. This is how I get laid. You know, this is how I don't get hurt. And, and, and we, 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 that becomes a persona. The nice guy is one of those personas. So if the nice guy persona in trying to you know, uh, deal with uncomfortable feelings and prevent them from happening, preventing things from happening in the future that cause uncomfortable feelings, does two things. One is he tries to become what he thinks other people want him to be mm -hmm. in order to be liked and loved and get his needs met. So he's very chameleon-like. Sure. And number two, he tries to hide anything about himself that he thinks might get a negative reaction from other people. Yeah. And the things nice guys tend to hide are their needs and usually their sexuality. Mm -hmm. Now, this can apply to women as well. There's a lot of nice sure. girls out there as well. I think nice girls were actually out there before nice guys came along. And many <laughs> of us learned to be nice guys from nice girl mothers. Sure, um, sure. So that's what, was, what, what we're doing. Now, like I said, in adolescence... Other things begin to solidify our personas. So for the nice guy, I write about this in, in the book, for many of us, we were highly influenced by women at a young age. Most of us, for example, in school, did not have a male teacher till junior high. Mm -hmm. So for many young boys going from second grade to third grade, not only involves, involves learning your reading, writing, and arithmetic, but how to please a woman. Mm -hmm. And then maybe we, you know, we got to adolescence and we wanted, you know, the girls to like us so we thought what do i have to do to get a girl to like me how do i learn to you know do whatever it takes to please a woman there i grew up in the 60s and 70s with the angry feminism well i don't want to be like that jerk um nowadays it's the hashtag me too well i don't want to be like that jerk um and so a, a lot of social influences have gone into shaping men you know don't be like that jerk don't be like the toxic masculine don't be like your father don't be like the assholes you hear women complain about mm -hmm. so the guy starts just hiding everything about him that he thinks might get a negative reaction from women yep. or from his boss or in the workplace or wherever and and we we end up as we've talked about not being so nice <laughs> we don't have any integrity authenticity we don't know what we want we're not getting our needs met we're not telling the truth about anything we have covert contracts and it just doesn't work so well yeah dr glover well said and i'm sure there are many men out there and even women who are listening to this podcast 
who this message resonates with. And again, because I'm a huge proponent of self-love and authenticity, I will always put myself, you know, under the spotlight to show something that you highlighted in many other uh, platforms, Dr. Glover, that it's okay to come to terms with your darkness and your rougher parts. I think, and correct me if I'm wrong, it was you who said that people can connect to your imperfections. They can't connect yeah. to perfection, to perfection, excuse me. And that's what I realized. Like, I would always conceal myself and, and kind of project this caricature of who I really was. And I would wonder yeah. why, like, why can't anybody really authentically connect? And then I had to stop and say, well, am I really authentically connected to myself? Am I really espousing my truest beliefs and my highest identity? And I had to say, no, I wasn't. I was being that nice guy operating on covert contracts, suppressing my needs, suppressing my desires, never really saying what I thought. And then I would wonder why, like, okay, why did this situation go downhill? Why am I not really maximizing my potential? And, you know, the more you suppress and you stifle, the more you do live in mediocrity. You, you really do. And, I, you know, I, I like the, you know, what you brought up. And, you know, I talk about in the book that people are not attracted to Teflon men. Nice guys <laughs> trying to be so smooth, nothing sticks to us. But, but people are attracted to, to rough edges. And one of the things, I, when, I, when I work with men, I love working with men in groups. Yeah. And one of the beauties in groups is men can feel safe to start revealing their rough edges, to start revealing the things about them that they, they've never felt safe to reveal. Mm -hmm. And it's interesting what happens then. Now, I started my own personal recovery in a 12-step group for sex addicts. Okay. I quickly found out I wasn't a sex addict. I wasn't having enough sex to be a sex addict. <laughs> It was a beautiful place to be because I, I decided I'm just going to reveal everything about me. I've never let anybody see about me before. Sure. And, sure. and it was liberating. It felt so good. And, you know, in a 12-step group, you have to you reveal all this stuff that you think is so dark and, oh, terrible and offensive. They just go, thank you for sharing, Robert. You know, that's it. And then they share their stuff. And you don't think they're terrible people. Or Not at all. Or, and, and so in groups of men, I, I love it, and groups of women as well, but I do most of my work with men now. Sure. You get men in groups, and they start revealing themselves, and they find out they're not alone, and they release their shame. And, and it actually lets people get closer to us. So, for example, an exercise I do with my men and I've done in groups I've been in is like, you know, we'll do a little exercise like what I don't want you to know about me. And we'll just share the things we don't want other people to know about us. And then afterwards, you like that person better. It's mm -hmm. like we like people better when we know their rough edges and their dark side. Mm -hmm. We can relate to them more. We know more who they are. And we feel safer with them. And, um, and this is true for men or for women both. You know, when nice guys think, well, I want this woman to like me. I don't want her to think anything bad about me. I'm going to hide all of this. And, and really, we just, we bore them. You know, you know, uh, nice guys always wonder, well, how come women are attracted to the jerks? Because the jerks don't bore them. You know, the, the, the jerks are, you know, everything's on display. Even if they're not treating the woman well, um, they, they're not boring. Nice guys with all that Teflon smooth look, I'm yep. doing everything right. Mm -hmm. My virtue signaling, see, I'm a good guy. I'm not like those other men. Is boring. Yeah. And yeah. Who wants to be boring? No, Dr. Glover, and you know, the one thing I've realized too, I mean, as, as human beings, men or women, all of us have struggles, all of us have doubts, all of us have darkness. And essentially, exactly what you said, I've noticed it in myself too, when you acknowledge those parts in yourself, 
It's enlivening for the other party, whether it be your friends, whether it be your wife or girlfriend or fiancé, because then they're emboldened to show themselves and you connect on so much more of an intimate level. And another thing, maybe sort of a uh, philosophical approach of mine, the one thing I love about your story, Dr. Glover, is not only do you own your shit, but you've absolutely mastered the art of allowing your trials and tribulations to make you better. You share your stories about being in these groups. You share your stories about your divorces. You share your stories about your struggles, but you took something and you made you made beauty out of it. Because I see a lot of men, I mean, I'm sure we all do, whether it be in our social groups, in our families, in our, you know, work environment. They think that because they've messed up or, or they... They've done something wrong along the way. They're a fuck-up or, you know, they're the world's scum and it's it's irreconcilable. And it's like, I always use you as a reference. I was telling my dad the other day, I was like, Dad, when, when I get this guy on my show, you, you've you got to see the way he approaches things because he'll sit and tell you about his divorces and how he's on to his third marriage and he's living happily. And my dad was like, yeah, like, things, things are never the end. It's all about when you want to start and what you want to do. Yeah, your dad's a wise guy, wise man, you know. And, you know, I I tell guys, it's like sometimes guys say, well, you know, I don't want to make a mistake. I don't want to fuck up. And I'll go, well, you're talking to me because you read my book, right? You like my book. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, and I will say, no more Mr. Nice Guy is not a chronicle of my successes. It is a record of my fuck ups. <laughs> yeah, it sure. is everything I got wrong. And, 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 and hopefully I learned something from. And everything I teach. And it doesn't matter, you know, I, I, when I got divorced, I had to learn how to date. I didn't know how to date, so I went and learned how to date. And mm -hmm. then people said, teach us what you're doing. Everything I teach comes out of what I've struggled with. And, yeah, I had a Ph.D. in marriage and family therapy at 29 years old, mm -hmm. and I bumbled my way through every relationship I have. Now, <laughs> we all do. Yeah. And, you know... One of the things that I hear people say a lot, kind of as you just said, say, Robert, I appreciate how authentic you are and how, how you reveal yourself and you're an open book. And I would not have been accused of that 30 years ago. Nobody said, Robert, I love how authentic you are. I wasn't authentic. I was trying to get approval, which made me inauthentic. And the irony is, as you pointed out, now that I'm just being me and, you know, yeah, I, I fucked that up. Yeah, I, I, I messed that one up. Yeah, I learned this from that. <laughs> now, all of a sudden, I'm not seeking approval and people, you know, seem to enjoy me and they seem to, to like to hang around me. Not everybody does. Not but it's okay. Going to. Yeah. But that's okay. I, I, I don't care about that anymore. Again, I'm comfortable in my own skin and I'm living life on my terms. And, and from that point of view, my... My mistakes are the best teaching tools that I've got. And um, I, you know, what I teach people is not that something I learned in university or graduate school. No. A little bit is. You know, the child development 101. Of course, you know, yeah, yeah. Grad school or book. But most of the life application, I've just learned the hard way from just making. And, and often, like I say about nice guys, I'm a slow learner and a quick forgetter. Sometimes, <laughs> you know, I thought, Oh, I'd forgotten I'd already learned that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Look, I'm, I'm making that same mistake over again. And in there, you've got to have some compassion for yourself. You have to have a sense of humor uh, about, and it's not that I don't take my fuck up seriously. I do. Sometimes I hurt people and I feel terrible sure. when, when my bad behavior hurts other people. So I do what I can to make amends. I do what I can to, to make, set things straight, but mostly I do what I can to learn from it. 
because if I don't learn from it, all, all that pain I caused other people is wasted. And, and no, I, I need to learn. No, absolutely, Dr. Glover, well said. And uh, no, of course, I, I, I appreciate you sharing that with us. Um, on to the next question. So I asked this to everybody, and I know that you will have a great answer. What advice would you offer to your 20-year-old self and why? Like a piece of philosophical wisdom that you would say and that perhaps I myself and anybody else listening can take and apply to themselves. All right, yeah. I, I like those kind of questions. <laughs> I know um, you do. And, 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 you know, first thing, I got to just go honestly, first thing that came to mind was I would tell my 20-year-old self, women like sex. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I, and, and, you know, I say that. Go ahead, yeah. I grew, I grew up with a self-limiting belief that women did not like sex mm -hmm. and thought men who wanted sex were bad. So I understand. That meant, that meant, going back to my old nice guy pattern, I, try, I hid my sexuality. I repressed it. I pushed it down. I hid it from women. I was secretive. I had hidden agendas with yep. women. None of that is authentic or loving. And once I, I really came to the realization that women like sex and you don't have to manipulate them into wanting to have sex you don't have to s seduce them with nice guy seduction of listening to them talk about their problems or helping their sister move and you just be you again comfortable in your own skin and living life on your terms being a fully sexual being then i found out women like sex and so if i'd known that at 20 see i didn't find that out till i was like in my mid 40s so if i knew it at 20 probably would have had a big difference in my life yeah, and no, absolutely. I uh, that's it's a well said, Doctor Glover, and it makes sense. It makes sense. I mean, of course, I myself grew up with somewhat of a limiting belief in that regard as well, because we were never, we were never really shown that. We were, I mean, we were always taught that if you were a man that sought that, you were kind of a dirtbag like everybody else. So I get if what you're saying. If you want to have sex, you're a douche. Yeah, I, I get that. You know, but here's the funny thing. You know, when I I, I talk with a lot of women and like. They, they, you know, I'm saying I'm on an airplane or traveling, and I'm talking to the person next to me. You know, do a chit chat, and they'll say, "What do you do?" And I say, "Well, you know, I'm an author, and here's my background. But now I, I mainly teach men how how to have how to date and have good relationships." Women always want, oh, what do you teach men, right? And and then after, you know, because they're interested in that. And then they always say, can, can, I, can I give, you know, a piece of advice to, to the men you work with? And I go, yeah, sure. And like the thing that women always say is, you know, clean your fingernails, polish your shoes, and trim your ear and nose hair. Uh, and I go, okay, I'll tell men that. And women, they all tell me that same thing. And then the other thing they ask, they go, how come... Why do men do this? And the, and the women will say, you know, I'm, I'm somewhere at a party or I'm in a room at a club, a bar, whatever. And they'll go, I notice a man looking at me. Mm -hmm. And I smile at him. You know, and I make eye contact and I'm warm and inviting. And, you know, then I notice later he's looking at me again. And they go, but he never walks across the room and talks to me. Why? why? I go, they go, why do men do that? And I go, um, because you're scary. And they go, Really? You know, why? I said, because you're scary. And then, then they'll say, well, how come a guy, maybe if he is talking to us, we'll have a nice conversation. I'm listening. I'm laughing at his joke jokes. I'm touching his arm. I'm smiling at him. And, and then, you know, what gets done, how come he doesn't, he doesn't ask for my phone number? How come he just says, it was nice to meet you. Maybe I'll bump into you again sometime and just walks away. away. And I said, because you're scary. Well, 
women don't want to have to put up a billboard that said, that said, pay attention to me, ask me out, give me a phone number. But a lot of this goes back into the, our self-limiting belief, beliefs that I'm not good enough and women are going to reject me. They're going to find out you know, I'm this or I'm that. And so that's what, that's what even women say. You know, be bold, be you, take a chance. Don't let this stuff you know, get in your, in your way. No, absolutely, Dr. Glover, well said, and even I had to learn that. I had to learn to be more assertive, to be to be more confident, and to be bolder. Go for what you want, and the worst case scenario, and I think you even mentioned in your book, is they tell you no. And if they tell you no, okay, fine and dandy. If, you know, you hit on some things, then great. You learned, you grew, you got some benefits out of it, you, you know, you may have gotten a great relationship out of it, or just an experience. Why wouldn't you go go try that thing that's a little bit out of your comfort zone? One of the things I've been saying for years, one of my mod- personal mantras is, I love waking up in the morning not knowing how my day is going to end. Yeah. Now, that means you got to get out of your comfort zone, and it usually means you got to get out of your house as well. Because, you know, the, and I get that that's a little bit more challenging during times of pandemic. There's not near as many adventures. But I, I'm also a big believer that a, a good life is a life where you've got a lot of good stories to tell as you approach the end of life. And one, one of the things, one reason I like doing these kind of interviews and calls is, as you can see, I, I, I like telling stories. And not so much to talk about me, but to show people when you get out and have an adventure, life's really interesting. you got something to talk about. It makes you an interesting person. Yeah, I've used this pandemic just to obviously re-examine all facets of my life, and I think people should. Um, okay, Dr. Glover, another thing that I wanted to hit on with you. You seem to be a huge proponent in your book of no excuses. And I'll never forget where you gave the example of one of your... I read this book very thoroughly. One of your men talked about wanting to open up his own martial arts studio, and he said something along the lines of, I can't because... You know, I got a wife and kids and a job. And you said, no, that's an excuse. You could start one day and then you could build up your clientele and go from there. And I loved that because I would make those excuses. I don't have time today. I don't, you know, I'm not feeling up to it. And it's kind of like, you don't have to have everything all figured out, everything all done in one day. You could take your time, gradually build up and go from there. Yeah, well, you asked earlier about me writing a book. I didn't set out to write a book, you know, (laughs) Writing a book's a, a challenging thing, and, and most people knew how challenging it was. They'd never start out to do it. Um, but I just would start out, I was just writing some pages, right? And then, lo and behold, seven years later, it turned into a book. And everything in life, I, I think, works like that. We've just got to be willing to, to, to just, you know, take a stab at it. And one of the, one of my, another one of my personal life mantras and, and I had to apply it to, to get to where I could finish the book. So I got to where it's almost done. And then I got stuck. Kind of my perfectionism kicked in of what will people think? Will people like it? Will people buy it? Well, did I just wait seven years of my life? Um, you know, can I even get it published? And there's a movie called The Edge um, where, where two people are being chased by a bear in Alaska. There's this one scene where, where the Anthony Hopkins character says to, to the Alec Baldwin character, what one man can do, another man can do. And I developed that as my mantra. So if one man can get a book published, for men, another man can do it. If one man can start a martial arts studio, another man can do it. And 
is that self-limiting beliefs that get in the way that, well, you know, I, I, I just don't have time or I can't do this or what if or what if. And as I heard somebody say one time that Tolstoy wrote War and Peace when he had 14 kids, yeah. you know, you think, you think, I don't have time, I got kids. Um, yeah, if, it, if it's been done, it can be done again. And go to school on what other people did to have successes. You know, when I when I decided I wanted to live in Mexico, I, I started moving more and more of my business online to the Internet. That was mm-hmm. about 15 years ago I started mm-hmm. doing that. And um, and that was way ahead of the time. And therapists weren't online at that time. Now, now everybody is because they have to be. And and people and therapists didn't have newsletters and therapists didn't have online universities yep. and therapists didn't do online you know long distance consultation around the world but I was doing it because I wanted to live in Mexico and I wanted to get where I wasn't anchored to one physical location and but I remember it was still scary to make that leap to say I'm going to go down to Mexico and I decided to do it for three months the first time and um, it was scary and but. I thought, it's now or never. My father had just died. It was the middle of the Great Recession, back 2007, 2008. And I thought, it's now or never. And so I let go of my lease on my apartment, on my office. And I'm going to take a three-month sabbatical and go to Mexico. Mm-hmm. And what amazed me is that once I made a decision, pointed myself in that direction, how many doors started opening up in front of me yes. that made everything work. And I couldn't have seen those doors until I actually started moving in that direction yeah once you take that step that's another thing too i mean of course you know is there really any science behind this no but who cares i mean i I kind of realized that yeah once you do take these leaps in these directions you'd be surprised exactly what you said how many things seem to cosmically align for you the people you meet the opportunities that come yeah it's a beautiful thing and they, but they can't align if we're still sitting at home thinking, oh, I wish I was in Mexico right now. They can't <laughs> align until we actually get off our butt and take a step yep. in that direction. Then things, oh, yeah, this worked out well. I ended up, as soon as I let go of my lease on my apartment, the, my landlord said, oh, we've got a studio opening up in three months. Do you want to come back to that one? Just keep your, your deposit? I go, yeah, I'll do that. And then a <laughs> colleague of mine said, Robert, I'm going to take over the lease on your office, and would you just leave your furniture and everything else in it? I said, I said, sure, can I sublease it when I come back? He said, yeah, you can sublease it from me three days a week. So I ended up coming back to my same office with all my furniture, paying somebody less than what I was paying on the lease originally when I came back. Yeah. And, and you know, found a, a Airbnb, not Airbnb, but on Craigslist, found a place down here in Puerto Vallarta. Uh, everything just clicked once I started moving in that direction. No, beautifully said, Dr. Glover. And I guess, you know, my final question to you, because I know a lot of us, are, you know, a lot of the people that are on my page or even I myself, we're probably wondering this. What is the number one key for men and maybe anybody in general to have relational success? Because obviously human beings want to connect, Dr. Glover. That's that's what we love to do the most. We love to connect, to love, to express love, to grow so what are the sure. keys to relational success? Well, that's a good question. We could do an <laughs> entire book or course on that. And there, there are a few. You know, if we're just going to keep this simple. Uh, let me say two things. One is honesty. That's the first thing that just comes to mind. Mm-hmm. Um, relationships begin to go to hell in a handbasket when quit, people quit being honest with each other. Sure. Now, the funny thing is, 
Honesty is what keeps relationships exciting and interesting. Mm-hmm. Honest relationships are never boring because you got two people that, you know, are flawed, imperfect human beings. Mm-hmm. But if they can both just be open and honest and transparent about that, it, it keeps things interesting. The second thing that I'll add, and I used to tell this to couples when they came to me for couples therapy. I would say this to every couple in the first session. I'd said, the best thing each of you can do for your marriage is to have good same-sex friends. Mm -hmm. The guy needs to have good guy friends, the woman needs to have good girlfriends, and you need to spend time with those friends. Because I promise you, as humans, we are not wired by Mother Nature for a man and a woman to go live in the same house together, isolated from tribe, (laughs) and do that for a lifetime, and think that this is all going to work out really nicely. It doesn't. It's not wired into our DNA. We're trying to do something that doesn't come natural. We evolved for a million and a half years in tribe, where we're, you know, we, the men did things with men and the women did things with women. And I'm not trying to segregate like this is men's work. No, but I hear what you're saying. But it, it was the connection and the bond. And so I would say that to everybody in relationship. Don't give up your friends. Don't give up those things that were important to you before you got into relationship because then you get dependent on your partner and then people then just start getting manipulative and resentful and thinking, how come I'm not happy? Well, because one person can't make us happy. We need our tribe to be happy and live our best life. Dr. Glover beautifully said, um, and there are so many other key points that you expound on in this book. Ladies and gentlemen, no more Mr. Nice Guy. Women, get the answers that you've been seeking about why you may be so fed up with the man that you're with or with the man that you're dating. And men, take control over your lives. Exactly what Dr. Glover and I myself propound Get control of yourself, see what it is that you're seeking, and set out to achieve it. Dr. Glover, thank you so much, and I'm going to definitely have you on again. It's always a pleasure to you know, interact. Thank you. Be, be, I would love to come back. Thank you for the invitation. No, definitely. Thank you, everybody, and you guys have a safe and sound Saturday. Thank you so much for listening to the Writing to Inspire podcast. Please be sure to give it five stars and leave a comment so that it spreads to other people. As always, I appreciate you and happy healing.